This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I believe with every fiber of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to Brexit The Final Countdown. I hope you've all caught up on your Glastonbury highlights. Paul, who was your fave? Uh, David Attenborough. I thought it was great. They brought, brought the house down for me. I did like the way he was... Uh, celebrating us all not using plastic and we he was cheered on by hundreds of thousands of fans waving bottles of lucasade sports <laughs> and <Evian. laughs> the irony it has yeah, was not lost yeah exactly thomas who was your headliner of choice uh, i think it had to be alex coming out of the crowd <laughs> <laughs> in his tiago silver he was incredible wasn't um, he yeah and joe who did you love um because big ci player isn't available on the continent i haven't seen any of it oh you, you don't put your license fee here See, don't deserve it. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't have a license fee, so no. Um, you're I not over seventy-five, PC. so. <laughs> and I'm don't not get free one, but that will be taken away from me. Anyway, Absolutely, so. of course it will. <laughs> well, somebody's got to keep Lineker and uh, Lager on. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Um, Joe, for the benefit of the tape, I think mine's was um, Kylie Minogue. Very emotional. Very emotional. Anyway, as always, I am joined by the delightful head of news, Paul Baldwin. Hello. Uh, I've got our news editor, Thomas Hunt. Hello. And coming to us live from a hotel in Strasbourg is our man, Joe Barnes. Hello. Hello. Okay, as a quick reminder, we we have 120 days until uh, we leave the EU, the 31st of October. (laughs) Uh, We've got just 20 days until we get a new prime minister and a new leader of the Lib Dems. Uh, about 15 minutes ago, we started voting for a new president of the European Parliament. Can any of you name the candidates? Only because we've written it I down. Can. Yeah. Who Joe are and Joe was professionally obliged to know it. Well, go then, between the three of you, yeah. can you, can you, know, can <laughs> you name the job. four people? Go on, Joe. Come on, go Joe. On. Give it your best shot. Okay, so we have, we have German Green, Scar Color. We have a lefty Spaniard, Sarah Rago. Um, Italian former journalist, David Sassoli. And a Czech... European reformer, um, and forgive me, Jan, for probably mispronouncing your name, but Jan Zaridl. Is he the guy who said, where are all the women over the weekend? Um, I believe so, yes. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I assume need... he meant it in a gender balance kind of way, rather than <laughs> anything mm. else. <laughs> oh, no, 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 where, where are all the women would be Czech Baptist. Oh, I mean, was it? Okay. But, <laughs> but um, Jan Zaridl is part of the European uh, Conservatives and Reformist Group which are more commonly known as the Europe, uh, British Conservatives. Who's going to win? Really quickly, Joe, one answer. Um, I was tipped off for a shared um, a shared presidency between Scar Keller and David Sassoli last night by a few people. And we are four months away from the, our newly elected EU top jobbers taking their new roles as Junko leaves on November the 1st. There's plenty to count down and uh, lots of energy in the room, so let's start. <laughs> Okay, chaps, last night the <laughs> EU finally discovered some women and we've appointed um, a fabulous German lady, uh, Ursula van der Leyen, or VDL, as they call her in the in the press, as the European Commission President. Which I have to say, sounds like some 
uh, new strain of sexually transmitted disease. Oh, why did you have to take it there? No, that's that's not well, ruin the woman's she's an antibiotic. She's got that VDL. <laughs> Weird flex, I think the kids say. Uh, Charles Michel, who's now going to lead the European Council, currently the Belgian Prime Minister. Uh, We've got Josep Borrell, who's the Spanish Foreign Minister, will become the High Representative for Foreign Policy. And Christine Lagarde, who is a real celebrity, former chief of the, well, current chief of the IMF, uh, will will lead the Central Bank. So we've got some some women in top jobs, which is just superb, but I know that's something that in this room we feel really passionate about, isn't it? Well, well, to be honest, we we think it's fine, but the point is... um, um, who are they, apart from uh, Christine Lagarde? Who are they, and why have we? What, what is problematic for me, and I think um, most people who have a sort of a slightly cynical view of the EU, is that at no point have these people had to canvass or uh, canvass at us. They're, they're being appointed by uh, a small coterie of people, and they are going to run Europe. They're going to be in charge of the lives of 500 million people. And we, we didn't vote for them. They've never had to canvass, and we have no idea who they are. And also, they, of course, they will be essentially dictating the terms of Brexit from uh, if and when they get voted in um, by the uh, MEPs next week, which is by no means certain, I think, Joe. Is that a reasonable assessment? The Parliament will vote on them at the week beginning the 15th, we believe. That's not been confirmed. And it's, um, and it's only to vote on the Commission presidency, but that, because it's essentially done as a package, means it's like a proxy vote for them all. But um, a lot, as you're, as you're kind of alluding to, there's a lot of anger because it's been an entirely backroom stitch-up done over three days in Brussels when the Democratic kind of candidates, Manfred Weber, Franz Timmermans, who represent the EPP and the Socialists, been completely discarded from the process so you've got a lot of kind of anger that the parliament has not had any sort of democratic say in it it seems wholly undemocratic and 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 really kind of nothing short of disgusting that these massively powerful positions are appointments not not democratically voted for positions right thomas absolutely disgusting uh, well paul and i joked about it this morning because we said that I, i said that they've obviously just ditched the spritzen candidate policy yeah what happened to that well it it wasn't working so they they said right we'll just do this on the old-fashioned way behind closed doors but i said we we were joking with paul imagine if there was a system whereby that instead of all the exterior politics having to worry about getting all tick all the boxes you actually just laid the candidates out said to everyone here's a vote and the, whoever gets the most votes it's a novel idea. Come on, come, come up gets with the that. position. I, think I mean, do that on Love Island. Yeah, I, I, I just don't. I do. They seem to have just made a rod for their own back, and I do not understand. As in, there's no credibility to this. Well, they, they have or? just opened themselves up to a whole host of undemocratic comments. Like, mm. the, if we go right back to the referendum campaign originally, the easiest remark for anyone from Farage, Boris, Michael Gove was, "Oh, it's an undemocratic institution." Why is that? Because things like this happen. Yeah, and this, is, this is exactly it, why people are suspicious of the EU, and, and rightly so. And they can put all the effort into having all the MEPs elected they, on a huge scale all around Europe. But if you haven't got the guys yeah. sitting in the top jobs who actually set the, the timetables and have the final say on various things, you would, it's, <laughs> it's just not going to... No. Um, okay, no. a lot of outrage in the I have, uh, for the For the benefit of... Uh, of Basically, everybody who doesn't know who these people are did just did Bet the benefit quick. of everybody. Goodness, um, Ursula von Leyen, uh, she's a former German defense minister, um, and she's described Brexit as a burst bubble of hollow promises by populists. And similarly, my goal is the United States of Europe. 
So we kind of know where she stands. He's also a big fan of the Euro Army, um, which again may um, cause some hairs on the back of necks to stand up. Um, but in some ways, she's quite well qualified for this job because in Germany, she was famous for bringing in her projects massively late and massively over budget. So that seems to give, give her uh, perfect credentials for an EU position. Well, and well suited to Brexit, maybe. Well, well, maybe. Um, she also is fluent in English and in French, which I think are two great qualities. She does, and she they? does have a medical degree. Oh, does she? She does indeed. Oh, she's spectacular. She's also a big fan of female quotas on boards, like everyone in this room. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone has a problem with that. So, so Ursula, uh, one of the biggest points that Ursula von der Leyen has a lot of experience in Brussels because she was born in Brussels to a family of bureaucrats. So it's basically in her blood to work for the European Union. Just what she, we need—a professional. <laughs> she had a quick stint at a British yeah. university. Does that yeah. does that help us, Joe? <laughs> what did she do? Was it PPE? Um, Lot, lot, lots, lots of European politicians do study at British universities. I, I believe she's done something at the London School of Economics, but I'm not sure where she's got her late medical degree from. Thomas, what do you think um, she means for Brexit? So obviously, Paul, Paul thinks she's a naysayer of pursuing a federalist agenda at no cost. And at least we know. I'm, I'm cool with that. That's absolutely fine. Super cool. There's, yeah, there's no... Um, Prevarication there. She's an absolute well, federalist, think, and that's okay. I could bring Joe in here because Joe, did, wasn't there a, a TV program? You think she's been she's been saying some nice things on? She's, she's she's a fan of Britain. She doesn't dislike Britain, but she definitely dislikes Brexit. And she's what she's done is so far as German defence minister, she has staunchly carried the German Angela Merkel backed policy of soft Brexit, soft Brexit, soft Brexit. She's very good mates with Merkel, I believe. Yeah, she she was she was basically crowned as one of her successors. But because of her, because of the state of the German military under her, the procurement contract controversy, and the fact that the German government jet, which is from the German Air Force, always breaks down, that's kind of lessened her, democratic, uh, her domestic credentials. Um, but so she's, she likes Britain, that's, that's within no doubt. But what she doesn't like is Brexit. And she, so she describes a no-deal Brexit would be the worst possible start um, to negotiations for the future. The, the best summary of this so far has been uh, Martin Schulz, who is a German uh, politician and former president of the European Parliament. He put out a tweet last night which simply read, a victory for Orban and co. They've prevented Timmermans, who stands for the rule of law. The heads of government are making deals. The top candidate process is dead. Von der Leyen is our weakest minister. That seems enough to become commissioner. Oh, major and shade. I think, well, uh, yeah. She's a compromise candidate, clearly, right? This is quite interesting. Angela Merkel yesterday had to sit out on the proxy vote and abstain on the selection of von der Leyen despite supporting her because of the coalition agreement she has with Martin Schultz's Social Democratic Party um, that she cannot vote on anything in Europe without their support and they didn't support her. So Angela Merkel actually sat out of this vote yesterday. So, well, maybe if she loves Britain so much, maybe she'll be open to hearing our ideas and help us prevent a no deal. Who knows? It doesn't sound like it, I've got to say. Okay, well, I, okay, I'll abandon that idea. Um, Paul, you wanted to talk about the new head of the European Council. No, just quickly. Who, who yeah, what's he been saying again? about Boris? Um, Charles Michel. Yeah, Charles uh, Michel. Already nicknamed Mr. Potato Head, I understand. By who? Somewhat cruelly. <laughs> Yes, very the cool. I thought that was your nickname. No, 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 it's not. It's, it's an EU, uh, internal EU nickname for him, apparently. Mr. When, yeah, when, when, his, when, when Charles Michel's name started floating around, the British journalists all received numerous text messages going, ah, funny enough, do you, know, do you know his name, his nickname in the diplomatic circles? <laughs> and it was that famous Toy Story character. So there was probably a few people with grudges out for him. 
I will just say a, a quote I dug out this morning from him was, when you push that Brexit button, there are consequences and there is a bill to pay. So again, that doesn't sound... Uh, Massively encouraging. He's not a fan of Boris either. He said he lacks the courage to lead Britain out of the Brexit black hole. Did you see that? Not uh, a fan. Hostile. A, a, li- a little bit. There's a bit of a theme emerging, I thought. From mm. the, the Thomas, what are you thinking? Candidates. Well, the the only person that we had before who claimed to be a, a complete sort of Anglophile was Donald Tusk. <laughs> and, and I do feel that maybe through the whole process and their late night talks when it come, came down to trying to get something over the line and deals. I I think he was probably quite a sort of steady hand and said, oh, hang on, let's think. And I don't... Who, Mr. Michelle or... Sorry, Mr. Donald Tusk. Mr. And I don't think the new candidates are striking me that there's going to be a similar grown-up maybe in the room to say, <laughs> let's, uh, let's listen. Yeah, I agree. Charles, Charles Michelle was part of the... When the renegotiations for the delay were going on, the Brexit delay, Charles Michelle was in the camp of... Let's not let Britain off the hook. Let's keep pressure on the uh, the House of Commons. Um, so he was in the kind of the Macron school of thought. So he is he is from the harder wing of the EU when it comes to how we look at Britain and Brexit. So that kind of the friendship that we have with Donald Tusk and the friendly hand who've been going, no, come on, let's let's give Britain an opportunity. They might want to change their mind one day. Let's let's give them all the time they need. It's suddenly going to come down. All these people seem to be harder liners um, or more anti-Brexit and and will be taking a tougher line with Britain than even now, right? Thomas had an interesting hypothesis about what this kind of, what this reveals about the inner machinations of the EU and kind of who's in control anymore, blah, 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 blah. Thomas, over to you, really. Um, Well, I was going to ask both Paul and Joe whether you felt the, uh, so the fallout being that obviously the European bloc of countries um, and as Schultz said in his tweet, Orban and co, um, have shown that they do have some sway by turning down Timmermans, well, and previously Macron turning down Weber. But does it show that Macron and Merkel are now losing their touch slightly in terms of an overarching control? One thing, one thing that this has proved is there is a new king or new prince of Brussels, and it's Emmanuel Macron. Okay. He was he was the he was the only leader who was massively vocal on the Spitzen candidate being dropped. Yeah, what happens? Yeah, Spitzen candidate has got some rid of. He is suffering with his European kind of eurozone budget ideas. So now, what branch is in French hands? The European Central Bank. Okay, he's basically decimated the EPP by essentially giving them by taking away their power and saying, no, you can't have your candidate, but I'm going to give you a candidate you can have. So I think Emmanuel Macron has played a blinder. So from that, yeah, that that was sort of going to be the question, Joe, that does it, do we then have, whoever becomes Prime Minister, Boris or, or Jeremy Hunt, do they then turn around and have to go purely now to Macron? Is Macron the, the only chap who will turn around and open up this deal and, or, or vice versa, say no chance? Or can we... I, on the other side, do we go to the Orbans and the, the Eastern Bloc and say, oh, guys, now that you actually have managed to throw your weight around a bit, do you fancy uh, being nice to us in this deal? And, 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 and what would that involve? Reopening, our renegoti- I reopening the negotiation agreement? Both Hunt and Johnson have, have both said they want to go back and there's various bits that they like to keep, but they want to change it um, with the obvious threat of... They're both claiming they'll leave 
with no deal if they refuse. So who do they appeal to? Because it's it's the EU leaders they have to go to in order to reopen it. Yeah. Joe, super quick one-line answer. Macron. Okay. Boris's first move as Prime Minister has to be to go to Paris. To go, okay. Excellent. Paul, what do you think? I, I was just going to say to Joe, actually, uh, what do you really think the chances are of reopening anything, even with Boris and Macron in a room? Under the current circumstances, absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's my Ma- Ma- Macron, Macron is prepared to go for no deal. And he, he said yesterday, after leaving, he said we shouldn't be scared of no deal because the ones that are scared of no deal are the ones that are basically hostage to the situation. Yeah, Thomas, if you were going to be installed in number 10 in a few weeks' time, and you had to, who would you be cozying up to? The Eastern Bloc, because I think we've just christened them, or I think, the Prince of Europe, Macron? <laughs> I think if, if, you, if you're giving sound advice, Joe I, is 100% correct regarding Macron has thrown his toys out the pram in this process, but if you're advising the Prime Minister or the new Prime Minister, you do not, I, he's not giving you anything that is remarkable anywhere close to their hustings claims and everything they've said they're going to promise the Brexiteers. Yeah, so you have to tr- probably try and drive a complete wedge between this group and try and whatever, uh, if they've been clever, they will have had someone sitting very quietly on the outside of this process who is going to be able to report back and say, these were the sort of internal arguments. This was where the problems really lie or and actually we go in and say oh by the way and he will have to do a full loop of all these leaders and it's whether actually all the things we said Theresa May never had in terms of negotiating skills or ability to actually win anyone over yeah if whether someone like Boris or, or Jeremy can go around and say come on he was quite mean to you actually during that process he didn't really get what you wanted come come here we can offer you this this and this on trade in our new Great Britain, <laughs> and actually try that angle. Almost the old sort of underhand, dirty politics. Oh, no, no. You mean proper, was, proper diplomacy? <laughs> but, was, but yeah, which was the old school. If you speak to any of the old school, that was the way they would have a full list on everything they yeah, knew about arguments. Yeah, you're going a charm offensive, and it's all... Charm offensive, yeah. but also with sort of underlying, you, not quite blackmail, but you would have you would have a list of bits that different EU leaders didn't get on about. And you'd be able to use that to your advantage in, in negotiations. The whole bit Divide of and conquer, Bre- Brexit. So, yeah, well, we. It is remarkable, and I think history will look back and think that the way that the EU managed to stay together as a, a block, and all of the fallout has been us here in Westminster, yeah. the various sides arguing with each other, yeah. and us not being able to reach yeah, yeah. a decision. The fact that twenty-seven countries have been able to come to one choice is what ever whoever gets in their biggest task will be to go and try and cause havoc mm. and open those gaps. Speaking of Jeremy Hunt and Boris Johnson, what? how have you found the last week? Who's who's in pole position at I the think, moment? Uh, good week for Jeremy Hunt, bad week for Boris Johnson. Well, you say a good week for Jeremy Hunt. The, fish, the fishing stuff was a bit cringe, no? When they said I, it might be his plan to... Su- what was it? Subsidies that might be illegal? Uh, there, was, there was a bit of that, but I mean, that was bad. not absolutely... Uh, proven anyway it's possible but not definite but he, he came out and, and came out with a 10 point plan which actually kind of made sense and that would come the first time I think we've had a, a plan that you thought that Was this the 10 point plan be. for no deal Brexit? It was absolutely um, and he's, he's 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 obviously trying to out Boris Boris at the moment and be all kind of a, all that, macho and ballsy yeah. and kind of but it could play well with the, um, the Tory rank and file um, so, well, yeah, because he kind yeah. of he's kind of got the moderate vote, hasn't he? By 
Dane of being a Remainer. So he needs to claw, he needs to get some kind of Tory party faithful by creating sort of 10 point plans and telling people to their face that he'd be happy for them to lose their job if it meant getting us out of the EU on the 31st of October. Yeah, I, I felt it's a bit like a meeting with you, week, Paul. It was a pretty obvious Boris win. Now I think there's a, you know, a kind of a chink of light for for Hunt. Do you reckon? Yeah, Paul, Thomas, what do you think about them? The, the illegal part was his pledge that he would prop up our farming. Six, he was going to give them a six billion bung. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the WTO actually turned around and said, that is illegal. <laughs> you cannot enter yeah. our negotiation because you are then artificially raising the ability of, of one part of infrastructure. Um, but in terms of his 10-point plan, you, he, he isn't, who is, <laughs> he is trying to convince the middle group now. I think he's trying, he's, mm. he's hoping, yep, that he has the moderates in the bag. Yeah, and he is. now needs to just try and claw as many of the sort of umming and ahhing Tories the ten by listing all of his plans for Brexit and saying, "Well, I'll, I will sack you." <laughs> I, What's the you, show? The Apprentice show? What is it? They say you're. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it literally yeah, yeah. got he got a little yeah. Alan Sugar on us yeah. all. Yeah, he's he is just not. He needs more, and I don't see that that there's anything. What more, macho? It, he needs he needs to out Boris Boris if this is going anywhere. And at the moment, but he's obviously trying to do that. But who can out Boris Boris? Uh, maybe is the thing. Uh, it's, well, Boris this morning is waging war on um, anyone, well, anyone, but uh, taxes on sugary, sugary fattening foods. He, yeah. he, do, he doesn't we, think we which need to do that. Which, in a weird that. way, is probably Boris going back. It's, it's trying to appeal to the moderate yeah. Tories that we yeah. think are in the bag for Jeremy Hunt. Oh, so he's trying to out because, Hunt because yeah, that's maybe, one yeah. of the old Tory classic conservative things of why should we dictate to anyone's lives? They should be able to decide. I have to whether say in they Scotland, to where they uh, hiked the price of alcohol. Um, the abuse of alcohol went up. So there's by, it's by no means certain that you price people out of the market. If they want uh, a can of lager, they'll go and get a can of lager. It doesn't matter what price it is. You see, roughly the same with cigarettes. So there's an, you know, there's an argument for some sense behind it. You're saying stuff. you agree with Boris yet again? I'm not saying I agree with Boris at all. I'm just saying that uh, nanny statism is not necessarily always the way forward. It's, it's again trying to just show... We are rounded leaders. We're going to have all sorts of policies. It's not just about Brexit. But it is just about Brexit, it, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, we've had this before. We know that. I mean, you, one show in town. There is only one sound on the podcast. And, it's, and about Brexit. It, it's quite right that there should be only one show in town because yeah, the, the entire future of the nation hinges on what happens in the next few weeks. And, you know, everything else is a, is a sideshow at the moment. <laughs> Final thing before we go, did you see how well our new cohort of MEPs behaved yesterday uh, in, where was that, Joe? Strasbourg? That is Strasbourg, the European Parliament seat here in France. Um, what did we think? Who was more embarrassing, the Remainers in their kind of uh, crude slogan yellow T-shirts or the uh, Brexit party who decided to turn their backs during the, was it Ode to Joy? That's it was the EU anthem. Yeah. Um, what yeah. did we think? Played, for, played by uh, a string quartet, was it? And a lovely lady. It was a brass quartet. It was a brass quartet. I was getting a bit aariated about and this. Who, and and a, a lovely pompous. lady singing though. She was like a siren. Anyway, who was more embarrassing? I, I, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Ode to Joy. It's a good piece of Beethoven music. <laughs> I don't think that's a dispute. What did we think of that little display? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, the pomposity of the EU was apparent and the slight ill manners of the uh, of the Brexit party were apparent. It was hard to know who was... Who a, was a massive you know. cringe fest, Thomas. It was a big cringe fest. Yeah. It, it wasn't a good look either way. I do think they the standing quietly with your backs turned... 
I think obviously attention was drawn to it because the camera panned around the room. I I do think the t-shirts, I mean, the Hofstadt tweeted a very, he was very excited and tweeted a photo of him sitting directly behind a huge You can say it on this podcast. Bollocks to Brexit t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you have um, permission. And, well, and he loved it. And, it was and, he great. Loved it. and you sort of think if that's the stage that the discourse is at, yes, and if that's, if that's where yeah. we're, we're, then you just, and actually... I think there should be some sort of dress code going on yeah, in these. Absolutely. I mean, without getting old-fashioned about it. Um, well, if that was a student JCR, it would be fine. And we'd all say, oh, ha-ha, what a fine political piece of satire that is. But right there in the heart of Strasbourg, it's not the place for that. It's just not very grown up, is it, frankly? No, I don't think anyone's very grown up. Joe, what was it like on the ground then? So I, I was in um, the midst and the, the kind of the, the manic kind of chase where Brexit, Brexit Party MEPs, Nigel Farage, and he only had 27 there with him yesterday because one unfortunately couldn't make it to Strasbourg because of prior engagements. Um, and he Long gathered them round and then they marched. <laughs> and, uh, yes, uh, David David Ball's journey. Um, he's like Michael Portillo in Thrones, the new Michael Portillo. <laughs> um, but the, this, this march, and they were all very happy to be there. Um, I spoke to Annunziata Reese Mogg, uh, Claire Fox, and they were kind of like, look, we don't want to be here, but we're going to send a clear message to the politicians back home. Get us out. But what, what was interesting was the, the back turning, um, and that was plotted by and suggested by Nigel Farage in a very early morning meeting. I think they were okay. dragged out of bed for an 8, eight, eight o'clock, 8.30 meeting. As a kind of polite show of disregard to the EU's federalist anthem, as a lot of the MEPs called it. I, I got a sense from Farage afterwards. Um, there was a kind of sense that if you thought that was rude, you ain't seen nothing yet, sort of thing. What are they going to start doing? Mooning? Oh, it could be. It could be. Like Jarvis Cocker at the, um, at the Brit Awards. The, the, the problem is, it's not, and Farage is a, is a seasoned veteran of the European Parliament, so he has seen numerous people use Oath to Joy as a protest. Um, so even yesterday, we focused on the Brexit Party MEPs. The SNP MEPs refused to stand during it in protest at the Catalonians not being allowed to take their seats by the Spanish government. But, um, so, Sajani wasn't actually having a go at the Brexit Party MEPs when he was saying you have to stand up to show respect to someone's anthem. He was having a go at the Scots in the room. Right, okay. Because oh. that was the pompous bit that I thought. It, the EU doesn't have a national anthem because it's not a nation. And this, this idea that it's somehow... A it was just a cheery sing-along. It was like those sing-along abbas no, you if, could go if to. They, all right, if you could select a cheery sing-along uh, to open uh, to open proceedings and have a different one every time, I think it'd be great. And it would get an aperture. Should have air raid. Air raid sirens. I was going to say, Thomas was very keen that we started this podcast with the air, which would have been very appropriate <laughs> yeah. considering how awful it's been. Um, that was great, wasn't it? With the glow sticks. Where was that great so rally? That, that, <laughs> that was the Brexit parties, sort of almost pre, <laughs> pre-going to Strasbourg. I mean, yeah. what a sign to invoke. The sheer terror them. of the Blitz, yeah. To outline their, their policies. Yeah, uh, I did like the, the glow sticks, though. That was fun. Very Alex at Glastonbury. Glow sticks. To bring it full circle. Dance music areas. Yeah. Like, yep, <laughs> it, was all, it was all going. But they, yeah, they, where they sort of strangely said they've Didn't got 100, 100 yeah. candidates. What was that about? Why don't election. we know any of them are? Yeah, they, don't, they don't want all the people trailing through 10 yeah, years worth of tweets it is hard to do when you don't know their names um well it's been a really eventful podcast and a really eventful week hasn't it i think there's a few more eventful weeks coming up as well yeah finally it's really yeah. everything's kind of hotted up it's the yeah. summer it's great um so in a week's time what will have happened well we'll have got uh, we'll have had uh, the what vote is it that's happening right now 
the European Parliament, European Parliament would, presidency. Would, 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 we will have. Or well, maybe we will. Who knows so, where things are going. We might have two, mightn't we, Joe? That's what you were saying. Uh, yes. Uh, two split, two, they will share two and a half years each. Fabulous. Some more hustings, some more Tory hustings. Um, guys, it's been an honour and a privilege actually to do this with you this week. It's been very funny. Always. Joe, thank you for um, dialing in. Very grateful to you as always. Thank you. Thank Keep you. up the good work. And we'll no, see cheers. you next week. Thank you, chaps. Thank you for listening to Brexit The Final Countdown. If you like what you heard, make sure you click subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, you could always leave us a review.